What's up and welcome back to the Locked on Bucks podcast. I am James Yarko joined as always by David Harrison. You can find everything that we're doing over at thepewterplank.com and make sure you follow along on Twitter at Locked on Bucks at the Peter Plank at jyarko underscore bucks and at dh82 underscore bucks. Today we're going to be touching on uh, a couple of topics and uh, we're going to be answering a, a couple of Twitter questions from our good buddy Garico Suave, who sent some in. But we're going to kick this off with the big Buccaneers news of the day uh, as we prepare to roll into rookie minicamp. The Buccaneers announced today that the 12th member of the Ring of Honor is none other than legendary head coach Tony Dungy. And the induction will take place, or the ceremony rather, will be during the Monday night football game against the Pittsburgh Steelers on September 24th. Now, of course, Tony Dungy played two of his three professional seasons with the Pittsburgh Steelers. So again, the Buccaneers find a way to kind of mesh, you know, the facets of, of these people's careers together, you know, with John Gruden, of course you had to line it up with Monday night football, but this is a way for, for Tony Dungy to have, a lot of his football history uh, on one field at, at the time of his induction. So first and foremost, David, what are your thoughts on, uh, on the Tony Dungy induction? I mean, I love it. I don't, I don't, uh, I can't think of many people. Of course, there's, there's guys that in Buccaneers history that deserve, you know, to be honored by the team, of course. But I mean, I think Tony Dungy is definitely up there near the top of the list. if not at the top of the list. And, you know, there was discussion last year about whether or not he should have gotten in before John Gruden or John Gruden should have gotten in before Tony Dungy. I think at the end of the day, history is not really going to remember who went in first. They're just going to remember that both those guys are in there. And I think they both deserve it for what they contributed to Buccaneers history. Uh, obviously, Tony Dungy, you know, more of a build-up towards the Super Bowl and then Gruden getting the Super Bowl. So you have those those two things. And I've seen some detractors. I've seen more supporters than detractors, but I've definitely seen some detractors. And I don't know. I mean, me personally, like, of course, I would have preferred Tony Dungy to, to be the coach to win the Super Bowl. You know, I think most people probably would. He was the guy that kind of built the whole thing. And, and uh, you know, a lot of the talent that won the Super Bowl came on board when he was there. and He was the coach and really got things going. But, you know, it played out the way it played out. But just because he wasn't able to get the team over the hump uh, necessarily, I don't think that it detracts from the fact that he should definitely be uh, in the ring of honor. Yeah, I was I was one of the ones last year that was firmly planted on the side of Tony Dungy should be in before John Gruden. When you look at the overall body of work, yeah, John Gruden, of course, won the Super Bowl. But the overall body of work, Tony Dungy still has the highest winning percentage of any of any coach in franchise history. Yeah, and and as you said, he kind of he kind of built what what led to a championship team. Now I'm also not one of the people that says Gruden won with Dungy's team. Gruden did a lot to change the roster over and get it the way he wanted it to put them over the edge. But that was more on the offensive side of the ball. It was it was Tony Dungy coming over from Minnesota, installing that Tampa 2 defense, working with Monty Kiffin, getting that team going, taking the the picks of Derek Brooks and Warren Sapp, both of which he wanted in Minnesota, and, and Sam Weish was able to get them in Tampa. But he had that that foundation there with Sapp, Brooks, and Lynch that were the perfect players for the system that he wanted to implement. And 
you know, what happens is he leads the team to four playoff appearances in his six seasons. He gets to a NFC championship and, and holds the greatest show on turf to, I, I would, I'm not a hundred percent sure, but I would be pretty, uh, I would feel pretty strong in saying their lowest scoring performance when they were at their peak, of course, and the Rams went on to win the Super Bowl. So, you know, we had the whole Riddell Anthony, uh, was it Riddell Anthony or Jacquez Green, the 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 catch rule? I can't remember now. Bird Emanuel. God, I was all over the place on that one. Why didn't you stop me? <laughs> uh, the, the Bird Emanuel rule where, you know, the, the refs ruled it incomplete. <clears throat> it ultimately should have been ruled a completed catch, and who knows what would have happened if if the Buccaneers had gone on to meet your uh, your hated Tennessee Titans in that Super Bowl. Um, <laughs> I don't hate the Tennessee Titans. You hate the Tennessee Titans. That was as heavy of a sigh as Bailey dropped when I mentioned the Red Sox on our roundtable. That was, that was a heavy, heavy sigh. Um, but no, I'm, I'm excited. I don't think there was a better person to, to put in this year. I think he should have been put in a few years ago. So, you know, when I, when I tweeted it out, it was, you know, it's about time. So I'm excited mm-hmm. for, for Tony Dungy. I'm, you know, and he's excited. He was tweeting about it and, you know, he feels honored. He was inducted into the Colts ring of honor. I think it was in 2010 or 2011, right around there. Of course, he became the first African American head coach in NFL history to win a Super Bowl. Uh, back when uh, the Colts beat the Bears in Super Bowl Forty One, so you know, excited for for Coach Dungy and and the Dungy family to finally kind of get the recognition that he's you know deserved for a long, long time. This is long overdue, and you know, we're still going to have guys. Like Rondé Barber is still going to get his name put up there, um, but I mean, honestly, after. I would say Hardy Nickerson deserves a spot up there. But aside from those two, I mean, off the top of your head, can you think of anybody that that needs to be enshrined up there, you know, after after Dungy, Barber, and, and arguably Hardy Nickerson? The Parrot. The Parrot, yes. Zsa Zsa the Parrot, of course. I hate you. <laughs> I don't, no, I don't. Off the top of my head, no, I can't. Yeah, I mean, to to me, that's kind of where it ends, which is why it was so puzzling. Why they started knocking them out two at a time? It's like, guys, you don't you don't have that many to go with. Like, you need to kind of need to kind of string this out. I mean, maybe Josh Freeman. If Josh Freeman wins the Grey Cup with the Montreal Alouettes, does does Josh Freeman go in the Ring of Honor? I mean, that's what that's kind of what we're reduced to at this point. Oh, Simeon. Simeon Rice deserves a spot up there. Yeah, Simeon Rice should be up there. Um, Joey Galloway. No, I love Joey, but he no. didn't do enough for the Bucks. I know, yeah. you want him just because he was a Buckeye. I know. Yes, also... Next, uh, next, you'll tell me Will Allen deserves to be up there. I was actually right about to say Will Allen. <laughs> oh, God. Get out of here with that. If Will Allen is spot up there, then so does Aurelius Ben. How about that? No, Aurelius Ben should never been in the NFL. Oh, how dare you? You're only saying that because he went to Illinois. No, I'm saying that because it's true. Richard Mendel had some potential. He went to Illinois. Simeon Rice went to Illinois. 
Mm-hmm. I'm a fan. So anyway, yeah. Uh, congratulations to, to coach Dungy, of course. And, and I'll be excited to see that. Hopefully they do the live stream on, um, on Twitter or Facebook for those that are not in attendance because we know ESPN won't, won't broadcast the, um, the entire ceremony. So we'll give fans that, uh, they can be there an opportunity to watch, but, uh, changing gears a little bit, you know, speaking of, of, you know, the upcoming season, of course, that Monday night football game is week three, but in week one, the Buccaneers have a big divisional, uh, matchup with the New Orleans Saints who are now going to be without half of their dynamic running back duo as Mark Ingram got slapped with a four game suspension for PEDs. Um I don't wanna I don't want to harp on this too long, but what was your uh what's your immediate takeaway of, of the Saints losing Ingram for the first four weeks of the season? It definitely makes their offense a little bit less uh, explosive because you're not they're not going to set up kind of like a a boxer with a really good one two co- uh, punch combo losing you know their their weekend because Alvin Kamara is definitely the home run hitter so he's definitely you know the right hook coming across your face but uh, that jab that jab setup is still pretty important so um, it, it definitely it definitely uh, increases the Bucks chances of winning but I mean we we're not even through the preseason yet so let's not get too carried away. Um, but I mean, it, it helps the Bucks. So I mean, it helps the Bucks is obviously good news to me. And because it's not an injury, I'm going to celebrate it and laugh at Mark Ingram for not being smarter with what he puts in his body. Because in this day and age, like they have too much access to team doctors and too much access to information to play, you know, the "oops, I didn't know" game. Uh, it, nobody's buying it. So, uh, yeah, that's my reaction to it. Well, and you know, I. I guess it, it may help a little bit, uh, you know, as far as the chances for the Buccaneers to win. But, you know, bear in mind, of course, the Bucs may be without Jameis Winston in that game, which then puts the Bucs way behind the eight ball. And I, I think the longer this this whole investigation thing lingers and lingers and lingers, um, the worse uh, the result is going to be. I figure if, if they weren't going to suspend him, we would have heard something by now. So I, uh, I'm refraining from, you know, taking any shots at, at Saints fans or anything like that, because, you know, we still have, uh, we still have a big question mark and, and cloud hanging over our heads, wondering if uh, the franchise quarterback is going to be available at the beginning part of the season. And that rough stretch, you start at New Orleans, then you're playing the Eagles, then you're playing the Pittsburgh Steelers. I mean, that's... Ooh. That's going to be a rough start if if Jameis Winston isn't under center. Um, And I mean, for the Saints, though, I mean, those four games, there's two within the division themselves. They got the Bucs and the Falcons in those four games. So it's a pretty important stretch of four games to start off the season for them as well. Oh, for sure. For sure. Um, I uh, I saw a rumor on Twitter that they, I guess, I don't know how, how good of a rumor it is, but I guess some, some people are saying they're hearing the Saints might target uh, DeMarco Murray. I would make a lot of sense. And I guess it's either um, today or tomorrow is kind of the cutoff for the compensatory formula. So we're about to see kind of wave two 
of free agency start to pick up because these free agents, the teams are about to be able to start signing, won't go against any potential compensatory picks that they may get. So we'll start to see guys like DeMarco Murray and uh, Eric Reed and uh, who's the other, uh, Trey Boston. And, and, and these guys start to sign on with teams before these OTAs and, and these mini camps really get underway because now teams won't uh, won't lose their potential compensatory pick status. So, yeah, that that whole, you know, second, third, fourth, fifth waves of free agency, you know, it's still coming. We still have a long way to go before the season really kicks off. A couple other quick notes, David, before we get over to the uh, the Twitter questions that you have loaded up and, and ready to go. Um, the first is a, a former Buccaneer and a former – Tampa radio personality and Booger McFarlane will be joining ESPN's Monday Night Football um, broadcast group. He's going to be the sideline analyst, I think is what they're calling him. He's not a sideline reporter. He's going to be a sideline analyst. But, of course, Booger played for the Bucks. He used to host a show on uh, what used to be known as 98.7 The Fan, the, the sports talk radio station down there and in Tampa. He moved on to... Uh, the SEC network. He's on Sirius XM NFL radio. He he's already been doing work with ESPN. So it's really cool to see Booger moving on and, and continuing to move up because he does a great job with what uh, with what he does as far as his his football analysis. He's great with Ross Tucker. The two of those uh, the the two of them have a wonderful dynamic on the radio. I enjoy listening to them a lot. And the other thing is that the. Uh, the Hard Knocks featuring the Tampa Bay Buccaneers won the Sports Emmy for Outstanding Serialized Sports Documentary. So real quick before we move on to the Twitter questions, any thoughts on Booger joining Monday Night Football or the Sports Emmy? I mean, it's cool. Uh, I look forward to seeing uh, Booger out there on the, on the sideline. You know, like you said, he's, he's got a lot of good things to say usually, so looking forward to that. And then, I mean, just – Congrats! I mean, Hard Knocks is Hard Knocks, and they probably they're probably in the running for that Emmy every year. But it's cool to see you know the season that the Buccaneers ran, uh, getting some recognition. So, congrats to everybody. Yeah, at least something good came out of it. That's that's all I that's all I got on it. It was a disappointing season. We all got excited after Hard Knocks. I'm excited now. Uh, I'm getting there. We have a long way to go. I'm not going to get, <clears throat> I'm not going to get super excited for football season yet, you know, because then I have nowhere to go but down until August. That's true. It's a long, it's a long wait. Hopefully, there's a Stanley Cup championship that we could celebrate over the summer. Not that you care about hockey. I am getting back into it slowly but surely. All right, that's what I like to hear. All righty, David. Well, go ahead and hit us with the uh, the Twitter questions from our buddy Grico Suave, and then we will uh, we'll get out of here. Yeah. So Brian uh, sent in two questions. So the first one is about the running back, and basically he's saying he doesn't see a solid number two running back option or option. He asks if uh, we think the Bucks are still looking because he's worried that they could fall into a Dalvin Cook situation, uh, like with the Vikings. If for those who remember, Dalvin Cook got injured. Um, during the season, and the team was uh, left to rely on a backup. Obviously, that, that worked out for them actually pretty well, uh, for the most part. Um, and then he's asking if we 
can safely say that Tampa Bay will be drafting a running back next year. He doesn't really specify when in the draft they would take one, but whether if we think that uh, the Bucks are going to draft a running back next year. Okay, well, I'll I'll start off with the the last thing that you asked, and that was, can we safely say the Buccaneers are going to be drafting a running back? I'm not going to safely say that they're going to be drafting anything next year. The last thing that I'm thinking about at this point in time is the 2019 draft. I still have a hangover from the 2018 draft. Um, I'm not worried about that right now. We have rookie minicamp. We have regular minicamp. We have OTAs. We have training camp. We have preseason. We have the regular season. Hopefully, we have the postseason before I'm even going to begin thinking about what's going to happen in the draft. That being said, um, hopefully the Buccaneers do not deal with a Dalvin Cook situation where their new running back is tearing up the league and then tears up his knee. It's the last thing we want to see for Ronald Jones. But I'm not, I'm not super concerned if, if that were to happen to have Peyton Barber and Jacquez Rogers kind of taking the reins. And I know, I know it's very adamant about wanting to draft the running back. And, you know, I don't see Peyton Barber as the feature guy in an injury situation. You know, you, you got to play with the, with the cards that you're dealt. I'm not going to be overly concerned if they have to rely on Peyton Barber. It gives him yet another opportunity to prove that he can do it, and he's in a contract year. He's only on this team for one more year. So he could go. He could turn around and, and turn that into a big deal in free agency, just like Jarek McKinnon did because of the Dalvin Cook situation. So I'm not concerned about that. You know, The roster is always a fluid situation. You're going to have guys getting cut. You're going to have guys that aren't fitting in with their team who get put on the trading block, a la Adrian Peterson with the Saints and then going to the Cardinals. I wouldn't stress it too much. Peyton Barber and Jacquez Rogers are more than capable of being able to run the football. Charles Sims is not. So that's what would concern me. If they have to rely on Charles Sims to be the feature back, then we're all screwed. Um, yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't worry about it too much. Peyton Barber is more than capable of, of carrying the ball 15 to 20 times in a game. He doesn't have that explosive ability that Ronald Jones does, but you know, injuries, injuries happen in the NFL all the time. Jameis Winston could go down for the season with an injury. Mike Evans could go down for the season with an injury. Uh, Gerald McCoy, Quan Alexander. It happens all the time. Next man up. You know, the guy behind him has to produce. So, you know, we'll cross that bridge if and when we get to it. But it's not something that I would be too overly concerned with right now. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm with you there. I'm not really uh, looking to the 2019 draft right now either. You know, there's a whole lot of time between now and, and when that, that gets all spun up. Uh, I think with Ronald Jones, with Payne Barber, with Jaquiz Rogers, they've got, we've got three running backs in there that can that can produce if called upon. I mean, I know, you know, Rogers obviously didn't get a whole lot of playing time last year. I'm not really sure, you know, what sparked that. But, I mean, uh, for what it's worth, the two games that he got nine or more carries, or he got more than eight carries, they won. You know, I mean, I don't, I wouldn't necessarily say, like, you know, going back on it, that Jaquiz Rogers was the missing link to the, to the season. But, you know, it, it is kind of odd to me. I, I kind of thought about it throughout the season that it was a little bit odd that he wasn't getting a little bit more playing time. So I don't know if maybe there was a lingering injury there or something like that. He's in a contract year, though. 
So I wouldn't be surprised to see the Bucks give him a little bit more action, kind of see if he's he's a guy they want to keep on the roster moving forward. He's still under 30, so it's definitely he's definitely a player they could look to, you know, especially with their their cap situation, all the money they're going to spend on some of their key free agents. You know, get him on a three-year team-friendly deal. He's a consistent guy who can come in in a pinch and uh, and play his role very well. So. And then Peyton, I mean, he showed a lot of potential last year. I, we we talked about it before. I wasn't comfortable with him necessarily being the guy alone um, coming into the season. That's less to do with Peyton Barber, more to just I really don't want to see my team put all of their chips on the shoulders of a third-year undrafted free agent who has about a quarter of a season worth of starts. Like That just doesn't seem like smart business in my eyes, right? Like, no matter who the player is, not a not knock on Peyton. I'm a big fan of Peyton, but I think him and – him and Rojo can uh, can probably team up pretty good and, and give us a pretty good dynamic uh, deal going on out of the backfield with Quiz Rogers there and then Charles Simpson knows that. I to me he's firmly planted as number four, but again we're not even to camp yet, so let's kind of reserve all of that till we get there. Um, and then the the second the second question they sent in was uh, given all the weapons that the Buccaneers have uh, specifically outside. Defenses aren't going to be able to stack the box. So do we see Ronald Jones being a guy who can get those tough yards? Uh, he, he gave goal line and fourth and short as kind of the specifics. Do you think Ronald Jones can be that guy? Um, well, I mean, when when defenses aren't able to stack the box, when they're having to worry about OJ and Cambrade and Mike Evans and DJX and Godwin, you know, he's going to get open running lanes to begin with. But in those third and fourth and short situations, those goal line situations, watching what Ronald Jones was able to do at USC, I have absolutely no question whatsoever that he can get the tough yards. He's going to fight for yards. He's going to break tackles. And when he's going down, he's going to fall forward. He's going to get you that extra yard, yard and a half just by moving his body forward very similar to the way Peyton Barber does it. He's not going to get pushed backwards. He's always going to get, you know, whatever he can. So, yeah, I'm not worried at all about about Jones being able to get those those tough two to three yards or or bust through the the line to get that touchdown on on third and goal from the two. Uh, he's more than capable of doing that. He's not just a home run hitter. He's not just a as as Dirk Cutter would put it, an explosive play guy the way Charles Sims is. He is a all-around running back, and that's what you want. That's what you want out of a future guy. Now, he hasn't been handed the number one job yet. He still has to earn it. But, you know, that's the kind of running back that you want to get. He's not just a complimentary guy. He is a legitimate three down back that can be on the field in any given situation. So the bucks aren't tipping their hand the way they did when Charles Sims would come into the game. And it's like, all right, well it's pass play. This dude can't run. So yeah, there there's no worries on my end about him getting the, the tough yards or the, the goal line carries and, and not being able to punch it into the end zone. Yeah, I'm the same. I don't, I don't have any, Concerns about Ronald Jones' ability to to muscle guys around a little bit if he needs to and and fall forward after contact. But I think, I mean, just looking at at the the way that Jones and Barber contrast with one another, I mean, I think Peyton Barber is just he's much better built to be kind of that battering ram type of running back, while Ronald Jones is better at 
uh, like you said, kind of mixing it up. He's a guy that when he's in there, you can run inside, outside. You can go with pass plays. Uh, you can do pretty much anything you want to with your offense. So he kind of keeps things a little bit more interesting. But when it's in one of those situations where we kind of know what we're going to do, you put a guy like Peyton Barber in there and, you know, third year in the league, he's kind of got that NFL body going. He knows how to kind of how to take care of himself a little bit better now than a rookie does coming into the league. And I mean, if anything else, just to to help uh, your rookie running back maintain his physical health throughout the uh, the NFL season. You know, not having him be kind of your primary option in that situation seems to be you know the more prudent probably uh, approach. But again, I mean, we got to see what happens in camp. We got to see what happens in practices and in preseason before all those decisions are made and, you know, uh, still, still a good amount of time before that. But that's kind of my thought off the, off the cuff is just, you have, you have a guy who's been in the NFL for a few years, like Peyton Barber, who has shown the ability to get the job done inside and short yardage, just especially. Um, and you have a rookie who has definite potential, but is still a rookie and getting used to the NFL lifestyle. So instead of running him full, full speed into the rookie wall, you know, let him, uh, team up with, with a guy who who did pretty well last season and mix it up a little bit. So, yeah, it really wouldn't surprise me at all if we see a lot more carries early on in the season for Barber and Quiz, allowing Jones to kind of stay a little bit more fresh and and not wear him down so early in the season. You have a longer NFL season, and if you're able to keep a solid rotation between the three of them and keep Ronald Jones fresh, you know, come, you know, come the, the late push in the season when they're having to go up against divisional opponents, hopefully making a run to the postseason and getting into the postseason. And now you have a young rookie running back who hasn't been worn out, hasn't been beaten down. Kind of what we saw happen to um, Kareem Hunt in Kansas city. You know, he started off like a house on fire and as the season went on, <clears throat> he just continued to taper off. So a solid rotation between the three. We all we, we know that that all three of these running backs can get the job done, or at least we know that two of them can, and we hope that Ronald Jones can. Um, it could definitely benefit the Bucks deep into the season to be able to keep him fresh and utilize Peyton Barber and, and Jacquez Rogers to their strengths in order to have a – solid running thread no matter which running back you see on the field. Yeah, definitely. I mean, going back to what you said, Kareem Hunt, you look at the Saints uh, as, as another example with Alan Kamara. Uh, he had, in the first four weeks before the Saints had their bye last year, um, two of those weeks he had just over 10 touches. Well, he had 15 touches in week four, but in week one he had, had 11 touches total, uh, including uh, receptions. But in weeks two and three, uh, he had four 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 touches in one week and five in the next. So, you know, the Saints definitely didn't kind of didn't bring him in and just throw him throw him to the wolves, so to speak. They definitely uh, tapered off his his uh, his workload early, and then after the bye week, you see uh, starting week six is when he went. Uh, he had he had at least ten touches or more in every game, but one. And I'm pretty sure he actually left that game with a uh, slight injury, but. Yeah, so just contrasting ways of you of seeing teams manage their rookie running backs, and one one side of the coin, you had a team that went to the playoffs and was able to use, use their rookie later into the season because they it looks like they allowed him to ease into the NFL workload, whereas the other one kind of you know caught fire early, and uh, I don't want to say team ran into the ground, but they definitely worked him pretty heavily there in the beginning. 
Yeah, we we don't want a Cadillac Williams situation where he breaks the record for most rushing yards by a rookie in the first four games and then falls off the face of the earth for the next one and two-thirds or three-quarters of a season. Yeah, I mean, there's a reason that run that position has such a low shelf, uh, shelf life, you know what I mean? So if anything, as an organization, I think to, to protect your investment, especially when you're talking about a second-round draft pick, uh, you got guys like Peyton Barber and Jaquiz Rogers and even Charles Sims who have shown uh, the ability to be impact players in the past. So there's no reason to uh, you know rush Ronald Jones onto the field too much too 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 quickly uh, too early. All right, well, David, I think that'll just about do it. Unless you have any uh, final thoughts or uh, or topics you want to throw out there real fast. No, I think uh, I think we covered it pretty well. I'm, I'm happy with what we got. All righty. Well, we'd like to thank all of you for uh, for joining us. Make sure you tune in Friday. We have a very fun and very special interview as uh, we send you into your weekend with a special Mother's Day episode of the Locked on Bucks podcast. But until then, make sure you're following everything that we're doing over at peterplank.com and make sure that you're following along on Twitter at locked on bucks at Peter Plank at Jarco underscore bucks and at dh82 underscore bucks. Hope you all have a wonderful and fabulous Wednesday. And thank you so much for joining us right here at locked on bucks.